Yesterday, Renee was leading the preschool Easter egg hunt, and after they had finished a craft and snack, she was having them hear the Easter story. And so she went through a picture book with them that talked about Palm Sunday, and she showed them the picture and then told the story, and she showed them the picture of Maundy Thursday and told the story, a picture of Good Friday, told the story. And then she opened the picture that showed Jesus being buried in the tomb. She couldn't even get a word out of her mouth when one of the young boys said, oh, no, 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 he's not there anymore. He got out of that tomb. He is not there. Praise God. That's what we've been celebrating throughout Lent. Last year we looked at why did the cross have to happen? Why is it we needed a Savior who came and died for us? But also, why did he need to be raised? What is Paul saying to this church and to us about the glory and the gift and the victory of the resurrection? And so in these last verses, the very end of his argument, especially in verses 51 through 54, you see him talking about that there will be a day when this radical change will happen. Now listen, some of us have different ideas about end time and and rapture. I don't want to get into an argument about that with you. You can buy me a cup of coffee and we can talk about it. When I was in high school and college, I thought I had it figured out. You know, the scripture says no one knows the, the day or the hour. I think I knew. I had it figured out in high school or college, right? We bump into end time stuff. We hear a verse like this. And maybe we get a little bit nervous. We think about that what's coming, and maybe we just get a little bit edgy about that. And so Paul says a word to us and gives us this great promise. That which is perishable must put on imperishability. That which is mortal must put on immortality. And I understand it. Again, when we talk about death, and we talk about what will happen in the afterlife. Maybe we do get a little bit anxious. I was visiting with a parishioner in, in my church when I served in McGee. This was a man of deep faith. But I was asking him, how, how are you doing before a big surgery he was about to have, a life-threatening surgery? And he says, well, I'm a little bit nervous. I said, you ner- nervous about the surgery? He said, no, I'm nervous about dying. This is a guy of deep faith. I said, why, why are you nervous about that? And he said, well, because I've never done it before. <laughs> right. But Jesus has. God himself became in flesh and went through that first death for us, went before us, and now is the first fruits of the resurrection so that you and I don't have to experience the second death. When we bump into death and we think about uh, judgment, we can know because Christ has been raised that what was done on that cross has been received by the Father and it has wiped our slate clean. What a gift to us. And I love, I love even how Paul says it in verse 54 here. Jesus just swallowed it up. He took death and he just swallowed it up in victory. There's a story years ago, and you may have heard it, every preacher tells it, but back in 2000, uh, the people of Charlotte had asked Billy Graham, would you come? We want to honor you. Would you come to this luncheon? And he was a little bit hesitant. He wasn't doing much public speaking. They said, please, just come. We won't, we won't ask you to share much. Just, we just want to honor you. So he showed up for that event, and when they did ask him to make a few remarks, he got up and said this. I want to tell you today about a story about a train ride for Albert Einstein. 
When, when the train had departed, and a few minutes after that, when the attendant would come down to get the tickets, he came to Albert Einstein and said, where's your ticket? And all of a sudden, Dr. Einstein realized he, didn't have, he couldn't find his ticket. And he started scrambling, trying to find that ticket, and the attendant said, sir, relax. I know who you are. Everybody here knows who you are. That's fine. Don't worry about your ticket. And he went on to take the other tickets. But later, when he got to the back of that car, he, he looked back and saw that Dr. Einstein was still scrambling to find that ticket. And so he went back up to, to, to Albert Einstein, just trying to relieve him, uh, to, 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 to cast off his anxiety, and said, Sir, I've said to you, everybody here knows who you are. It's okay. And he looked up and said, Young man, I know who I am too. What I don't know is where I am going. <laughs> Billy Graham then said, I bought this suit for today. My family's picked on me a little bit in my old age. I'm not as, as sharp as I used to be in terms of my dress. So I bought this suit for this event and one other event. And that other event is my burial. I'll be buried in this suit. But when it comes to that day and you hear about my death and you hear about my funeral service, don't be thinking about this suit. Here's what I want you to think about. Not just that I know who I am but I know where I'm going. That's the gift of assurance that we have in Easter Sunday, in the resurrection of Christ, that if you and I have repented of our sins and turned to Christ for the salvation that he's offered to us in, our, in his cross and, and resurrection and made him Lord of our lives, you and I can know where we are going. I pray you know that today, and I'd love to pray with you if you want to talk about that. Paul's giving us a deep assurance here in 51 through 54 of the victory that is ours and that will come someday. But then he even presses it further. Christ's resurrection is so powerful that we're not just waiting till then, to that day when everyone's changed in the twinkling of an eye. No, he can do something right now. I love how Martin Luther describes these passages here in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 years ago, talking about not just freedom from death, freedom from judgment, but what this scripture says is freedom from sin. Martin Luther said, this is so true that even Satan can't deny it. Christ's resurrection and victory over sin is greater than all heaven and earth. You can never imagine his, you can never imagine his resurrection and victory so great, but that in actuality, it is far, far greater. The resurrection power to defeat death, yes. To secure for us heaven forever, yes. But also that power imparted now. And you and I can know that sanctifying power. And Paul won't let this church miss it. In verses 57 through 58, there, Paul's just pressing and pushing this church to understand all that they can have. And listen, you and I know that sometimes the devil will get in our ear. Other people will get in our ear. We'll look at culture, even church culture, and that will get in our imaginations. Or even we can convince ourselves that this is the best it can be. That in glory, Jesus will remake me. I'll have this glorified body. I'll live perfectly then. But the best I can hope for is to stumble and bumble in this life. And Paul's not talking about that. That he says, no, there's power in the resurrection. 
to redeem, but also to recover the image of God in you. Also to, to restore you to right relationship with the Father, but also to re-energize you for life that is holy before him. But these voices will tell you, you can't have it. But that's not true, Martin Luther says. Do any of you remember Muhammad al-Shahaf? Other people called him Baghdad Bob. When the United States had invaded Iraq, he was their information minister. And on April 6, after coalition forces seized the airport, Baghdad Bob reported to his country, we butchered the forces present at the airport. On April 7th, after we had penetrated central Baghdad and stormed the Republican palace, Baghdad Bob said to his country, and also it was quoted in the Washington Post, there is no presence of the American columns in the city of Baghdad at all. We besieged them, and we pretty much killed most of them. It's not right information, but that's, that's what we hear from ourselves. This is as good as it gets. This is the most I can hope for. But I love what Paul says to the church here. Going back to chapter 6, do you remember what he says? Now listen. First, he says to him, don't be deceived, and he lists a monster list of sins. These things will keep you from the kingdom. Don't be deceived. Don't play with these things. But I love verse 11 right after that. But. Now, he does say to this church, and you know this church has some real struggles. He says, some of you even were on that list. Some of you, who should have known better, had played around with things that are on this list. Verse 11. But. You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Resurrection means we don't have to be what we once were. Praise God. He's not through with us. Resurrection gives us a hope over death and, and a life to come, but it also reminds us again that if we walk closely with Jesus and are led and filled by his spirit, oh, there's a power that we can have. And he spells it out for us in 57 through 58. Here's what it looks like, church. Here's, here's what you're to be about. 57, this reminder again that our lives are to be marked by thanksgiving. A life that's been saved, a life knowing resurrection power, is to be a thankful life. Many of you have read Ann Voskamp's book, 1,000 Gifts. And in that book, at one point, she says, I am mom tired. Anybody ever been mom tired? I shouldn't ask that today because all the school activities this week and Easter egg hunts or whatever family you've done and then to fight with the kids today to get them in Easter clothes and keep them clean till they get here, you're probably mom tired right now. In her book, she says, I am mom tired. In our rushing, we break our own lives. We're so busy. Hurry always empties the soul. But then she diagnoses the real problem. She said, it's not the rushing that's the problem. What happens so many times in our lives, she says, the real problem is of life is never lack of time. The real problem of life, at least in my life, is lack of thanksgiving. That I live a life that's every moment, every relationship, every circumstance... Is, is pouring out, or as Paul says, uh, always giving thanks, that I'm giving thanks. It's a great check for us today on a day which is so wonderful to say, how has my thanksgiving been? 
in light of the resurrection, we should always give thanks. And then to the next verse, he gives a couple other reminders. First, he says, because of resurrection, church, be steadfast, be immovable. Now think about this church. They had been tempted to compromise their faith in so many ways. They're about to also face all kinds of persecution in that church. And so he's looking them in the eye and saying, because of the resurrection, because you can know that your Savior's on the throne and waiting to receive you, do not move. Stand your ground. I told you once before, but our church was, was, was I really believe, blessed to be able to fill in the gap for David and Kate O'Donnell. They had lost some support at the end of last year, and so they had a big gap in their support just for this year. So our church has stepped up, and we said, David and Kate, we're going to support you. This one year, we're making a commitment. Now, you will not find that on our missions page because they work in Azerbaijan. It's a Muslim-controlled country, and they're in all kinds of danger there. But our church says, we'll step up, and you're doing this incredible work with a, with a place in a place that's less than 1% Christian. We want to support your work. And so we're standing with them. They've just finished a civil war in that country. So they went through all the dangers of that. But also, David and Kate hold and host an underground church, which is a big no-no in that country. And they've told the story on multiple occasions about two particular people in their church. One was a young man who, having heard the gospel preach, knew that day he needed to respond and say yes to Christ. Now think about that, saying yes to Christ in a Muslim country, meeting in an underground church. And as he's about to make that profession of faith, the doors burst open and here come the police. And they have one question for the church. Who in here is Christian? What do you do? That man stood up and made his profession of faith. I am. A brand new convert. First day. And he's already immovable. You can't move me. You can't move me. They tell the story as well of a a woman who routinely comes to their church. But they noticed after a few weeks of her attending that there were marks on her arms. I have to be careful I say that with children here, but there were marks on her arms in different parts of her. Her Muslim brother, every time she would come, let her have it. And she kept coming and coming to church. Now eventually the Lord intervened and that stopped. But for weeks, for months, steadfast, immovable, No matter the cost, I will not move. Why? Because of the resurrection of Christ. He's waiting for me, and he is with me. When I was growing up, when I just first moved to Mississippi, my pastor was Martin Case. And his son emailed me a week or two ago some of Martin's sermons. So I was reading through a sermon, and he talked about this word, steadfast. And it really means in the root word, settled. When our hearts are settled in Christ, then we won't move. It's a great day to respond to God and say, because of what Christ has won for me, would you settle my heart from any kinds of anxiety, any kind of 
of fear, any kind of lack of faith. I want to be settled in you so that I'll be settled with my life circumstances and in the schedule I'm in and the life around me. What Paul says to the church is, because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, be steadfast, be immovable. And then lastly, verse 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then this reminder too that it's not in vain. He started this sermon on resurrection was saying, look, if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection from the dead, everything is vanity. But because Christ is raised and because you will be raised, everything you do matters. Every word that's a sacrifice of praise, every attitude that's given to God, every action that you do for the kingdom, it all matters. When you are always in abounding in that, it has purpose. It all, and I love this about Jesus, it'll all even be rewarded by him. It should simply be a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him, but scripture reminds us he'll even reward us for that. Always abounding in the work. It is not in vain. The Lord will honor it. As we close, I go back to verse 57. Here's this reminder again from this morning. There is no victory though. There is no prize. There's no other way to the Father. But, as verse 57 says, through Christ. It's through Christ Jesus. When you I acknowledge our need from him, turn from ourselves and from our sin, and bank on his grace, you and I can have that victory. But that kind of victory only comes from being in him. We don't, we don't get it. We don't try to muster it up on our own, but walking with him, fellowshipping with him, and then that resurrection power in life can be. Herb Miller in a book tells a story of two farmers who were big rivals. And there was some kind of steeplechase race in their town every year. And so each of these farmers would enter a horse into that with some local guy who, who rides the horses. But one farmer had been so mad about losing that he went out and bought a ringer. He went out and got a professional rider, a jockey, to come in and ride his horse because he was finally going to win the steeplechase race. Those two horses were beating everybody else in the race. They made the final turn, and they were so competitive and so pushing against each other to get position, they smacked into each other. The riders fall. They go tumbling off the horses, but the jockey being trained knows what to do. He immediately gets back up, jumps on the horse, crosses the finish line first. The crowd goes crazy. There's all kinds of celebration. He goes to whatever the winner circle or prize circle, wherever that is. Everybody's still cheering except the, the owner who had bought his services. He comes up fuming, screaming, what have you done? He said, what do you mean what have I done? I just won the race. Yeah, you won the race on the wrong horse. middle of the race a little bit of struggle and he changes horses Paul saying to this church that's who you were in chapter 6 some of you were these things but listen because of the resurrection stay the course be immovable steadfast and it's only in Christ you have to be in him and then you win the race a relationship with him and it's not only a promise of what will be but a promise of what can be right now. Life with him, holiness with him. Praise God. Why? 
because he is alive. That's our closing hymn. It's always one of response. Let's stand together as we sing. Wednesday night, Dr. John Oswalt will be with us on Zoom. You can find that link uh, in our web, on our website, in our newsletter, so I hope you'll be with, it, with us for that, or we will record it and you can watch it later. Also, next Sunday is Student Sunday, so I know you'll want to be here for that, so make sure to make your reservation starting at 10 o'clock uh, tomorrow. Actually, it'll be Tuesday. We're going to bump it a day. I'm glad I said that. We're off tomorrow. So preacher had to work two days this week, so we're off tomorrow. Um, also, just as you leave this morning, you can leave however you want to leave, but I'm just letting you know outside is a beautiful flowered cross that our altar guild has prepared for us. They have done a magnificent job throughout 
the entirety of Lent, blessing us in our worship services. So if you want to go out there and take pictures as you can, and also as you're leaving uh, out on the east parking lot or just by the chapel, there will be tables with cha- uh, cross cookies prepared by Cynthia Lauderdale and several volunteers. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. After I give us the benediction, I'm going to ask that you please remain standing uh, for our closing song that you'll see on the screen, and then I will dismiss this. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen. Amen. You're dismissed.